Welcome to the Thrive Space Podcast, conversations that cultivate your heart and your company. If you're a business leader, you know that our country is facing an enormous migration of employees and talent. This worker transition is so large and universal that some are calling it the great resignation. What exactly is happening? Why is it happening? How is it affecting your company? And what can you do about it? Thanks for joining us today. John Erickson and Dennis Humphrey here to dig into our seventh episode on the Thrive Space podcast. Today, we're gonna discuss the great resignation, what it means for your company, and some ways you can respond to find and retain the talent you need. Joining us today is our friend and colleague from Austin, Texas, Dr. David McCauley, who runs his own company called WenWorks. WenWorks supports business leaders and entrepreneurs. It helps business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs increase their effectiveness as managers to develop strategy, deepen engagement, and drive performance. David and his company help startup firms become established and facilitate innovation for more mature firms seeking growth. Well, if you're a people manager, there's a fair chance that a portion of your brain is currently focused on hiring. Employees are quitting in record numbers and attracting talent is harder than ever. But there's an equal portion of your brain probably dedicated to figuring out how to keep your good people, your good employees from jumping ship. And so all around this conversation, all around this idea of retention, all this idea of people immediately wanting to quit their job because of something else they see that might be better, uh, we've brought in a good friend of ours from our Convene Network, who happens to be uh, somewhat of a knowledgeable person about this, our friend, Dr. David McCauley. He hails from Austin, Texas, and uh, we're really glad to have you with us uh, today, David, to talk about this idea of the great resignation and what it means to keep the people that work for us from uh, from leaving and all the costs and all the consequences associated with that. So welcome, David, to our podcast today. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, Dennis. It is a pleasure to be here. As you indicated, this is definitely a hot topic that is uh, top of mind. So it is my pleasure to uh, dig into it. Yeah, that's great. So let's just begin with this this word or this phrase that people have been throwing around. It's It's been around, I don't know, for how long, maybe a year or so, maybe longer, but I'm seeing it more and more now in HBR articles and in Atlantic articles and other, you know, New York Times articles, this, this phrase, the great resignation. So what exactly is that, David? What are we referring to when we hear that? Yeah, great, great question. So I've actually heard of it uh, referred to in a couple different ways. And probably the two leading contenders for a while, it was neck and neck between whether people were referring to it as the great resignation or the turnover tsunami. But really, both of them speak to the same thing. And, you know, what, what we're looking at, you know, after more than a year of the pandemic, Many businesses, when when we kind of first went into this whole thing, uh, really hunkered down, and a lot of them either uh, shed staff or put people on furlough, you know, those sorts of things. But now that we're coming out of the res- of of the kind of COVID response, a lot of these businesses are all trying to ramp up and embrace the new normal at the same time, and so there's this kind of 
perfect storm between people just feeling like they want something new, uh, a way to restart for themselves and these businesses trying to staff up that have resulted in lots of positions going unfilled, lots of openings. So it's, it's kind of this push-pull of people seeing more opportunities and being more willing to leave at the same time that more businesses are doing everything they can to attract them. And so when those two forces sync up, you get this just incredibly vigorous uh, opportunity to see uh, lots of people turning over and, and leaving organizations all at the same time in a way that we really haven't seen really for the last five or 10 years. And that situation puts a tremendous amount of pressure on business leaders who are trying to run a company successfully. Dennis, you work with a lot of business leaders, and we've been listening just in the last couple of weeks to them personally talk about this situation. What are some things you're hearing? Well, I'm hearing a number of things in this. One of them, one of the big ones is wage pressure. And they're really focused on, on competing, even at down to like 75 cents on the dollar kind of a deal. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, do I pay more? Can I lure more people? I know of a situation down in Mississippi, a very large manufacturing company. There's actually a, several down in this region. And what they found out was they had three big different manufacturers and people were hopping around, you know, almost like every three weeks between these three organizations based on, hey, they're going to give me a buck 50 more. Or they're going to give me a dollar more. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we heard, too, last week in conversations with some business leaders was the effect of the, the COVID mandates uh, that are coming in. For example, there was one company who said what the uh, leader of this company thought he might lose 30 percent of his employees simply because of the vaccination mandate that was coming down the pike. Construction company leader that we were talking to said that he might have to move around half of his employees on one enormous job that he's working on a construction project where the vaccination mandate was going to come into play and he didn't have that many of his his uh, workers vaccinated. So half of his employees were going to have to move around on a very large contract because of something like that. So all of these pressures are coming in. People looking for a job that might be better, uh, a situation where it might be the climate or the culture of the company might be different or something they're looking for. There's this wage pressure issue. There's the, the COVID mandate pressure coming on. Uh, what are some of the other reasons why this is happening that you're seeing, David? Yeah, I think there's been a real recognition on the part of labor at all levels uh, and across multiple industries of the value of flexibility. So, you know, really the last 18 months has been probably the largest global experiment in remote work telecommunications that we have ever seen since Bell was doing his thing in his lab. Mm. But, you know, People have found that they were able to be productive with that. And not only that, that there was tremendous value in the ability to shape their own environment. So it's been an exercise in autonomy that people have come to really value. And so now, along with some of those logistics, like you mentioned, with you know COVID vaccines and how many people can we have in what location, we also now have folks that have gotten used to and embraced what it is to be in total control of their own work environment in a remote setting. And a lot of them are really reluctant to go back. You know, we have some folks that are 
extroverts, some that are introverts. And, you know, as uh, the spouse of an accountant who is never more productive than when she can, you know, shut the door, not have to worry about people interrupting her and go into town with uh, spreadsheets and a calculator. This has really been a boon in terms of helping her align her work with her social and work style. So when you add that to all those other pressures that you just mentioned, it can potentially feel like a real challenge to even come back to the office and say, well, do we really need to do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the entire work environment has changed and our expectations along with that have become very different. What do you think, Dennis? Well, I think... Along with everything you mentioned, David, is kind of overarching all that. The COVID situation has created a kind of a collective soul-searching kind of situation and environment. And so while they're even talking about work-life balance, they're, they're driving down to the level of, is this really what I want to do with my life? It's given them a chance to pause, given them some space to actually think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple of different frameworks that uh, we'd like to raise uh, to begin to address some of the concerns, the pressures that, that all of this puts on our workforce and on our planning even for the future. And, you know, bottom line on whether our business is even going to be sustainable given the situation or what it's going to look like as we move forward. Uh, one of the frameworks that I've seen recently is some researchers have come together and studied the question about who actually is it that you're working with in your workforce. And they came up with four different kinds of employees. I just thought the way they they lined this out was interesting. Uh, the four different kinds of employees that they see are those called enthusiastic leavers. Uh, those are employees that They've indicated they're intending to leave and they follow through on that promise. They're ready to get out of here. Um, then we have the reluctant leavers. Those indicated they wanted to stay, uh, but ultimately then they did finally leave. Um, and then you have the stayers. You have the reluctant stayers, those who said they wanted to leave, but for some reason or other, they stayed on. And then you have the enthusiastic stayers. Uh, those who wanted to stay, and they did stay. And those are the ones we want to keep, right? We want, we want there to be mostly enthusiastic stayers. But when it comes down to who you're going to focus on, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really pay to put a, a huge amount of effort to retain two of those groups, right? I mean, it doesn't, to retain reluctant stayers or to retain enthusiastic leavers doesn't really make a lot of sense. But as you listen to those categories, David, um, what are you thinking about in terms of, you know, some of the ways you would think we should approach that? Yeah. So I've kind of looked at some of that uh, research as well. And I, and I appreciate kind of the, the, the methodological approach to kind of walking through and thinking about really who is it that you are actually working with. And I found it really interesting what some of the estimates were about, you know, what percentage of your workforce likely falls into each of those buckets. And between the enthusiastic levers and the reluctant levers, they estimate that that's about 20%. And I think that's an open question around whether that's actually what the percent is ultimately going to end up being with some of the research that is currently focused on intentions. You know, what do you plan to do? Showing that anywhere from a low of closer to 35% to a high in some of those surveys of up to 86% mm. saying, yeah, I'm thinking about leaving. I would say 20% is probably a conservative turnover estimate depending on kind of how your organization 
aligns with some of the populations reflected in those intentionality sur- surveys. That's one thought that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And then the other that I, I'd love to get into, but I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond, is really around the implications for where you spend your time. Because the single largest bucket or estimated bucket is those reluctant stayers at 42%. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, signals one of two things. You can either look at it and say, does it make a whole lot of, of sense kind of focusing our time there? You know, should we kind of really double down on our enthusiastic stairs? Or is there an opportunity to look at, well, what is it that separates our enthusiastic stairs from our reluctant stairs mm-hmm. to see if we can maybe convert some of those reluctant folks and actually activate them and kind of flip the switch, plug in the juice, so to speak, and bring them into that enthusiastic camp that's happy to be there. Okay. Let me ask Dennis a question here. Dennis, what do you think is the cost, the tangible and intangible cost to a business, to an organization or a company of this 20, upwards of 20 to maybe 60% of people who either are are definitely going to leave or who are really thinking hard about it? Well, we know from, you know, studies on productivity, how much energy is someone actually putting into their day, their work day. And those numbers fluctuate as well. You'll hear as low as 20%, as high as 60% of your day is actually spent on doing the job you've been hired to do. But I think one, as I hear that, David, one of the things, you know, with the reluctant stayers and the enthusiastic who want to go is this really elevates the issue of workplace culture because you could have a lot of enthusiastic stayers, but it could just be really a toxic environment that toxic people thrive in. And so you really want to evaluate, you know, the culture aspect when you're looking at these two numbers, is that a dominant factor in driving these numbers? Mm -hmm. This team also identified three factors. And so as we move forward here and begin to come up with some practical ways to think about addressing this, two different kinds of frameworks come up. They both have kind of three legs to the stool. Uh, This particular research team came up with the three things of one, the sense of fit or purpose in the organization that the person has. How well do you fit? Do you have a sense of purpose for what you're doing? Two, then a strong support system at work so that when you're at work or even if you're working remotely, you have some sense that the people that you matter to the company and that they're doing the things that you need to allow you to stay there and be effective and have a community, so to speak. And then the third thing they identify are the things they call intangibles, like autonomy. Uh, and maybe culture fits into that kind of intangible piece that makes it harder for them to leave because the emotional cost of them leaving is pretty high. It, they get a lot of value from being there in that place. So that's one of the, the ways that those three pieces come together to answer the question of how do you retain the ones that are the enthusiastic stayers that you want but David, you have another model that, that you call job embeddedness. Uh, now, this job embeddedness is not a new term, but you've mm-hmm. kind of come up with your own personal way of looking at job embeddedness. And uh, why don't you walk us through that and give us some examples? Absolutely. So the way that I approach job embeddedness, it, it really comes out of the industrial and organizational psychology literature 
and probably one of the best single sources if you ever want to go look up a, an article, look up Job Embeddedness plus Lee, Birch, and Mitchell. They put out a really good article back in 2014 that is both kind of summarizing the current state, but also goes back and, and walks you through the, the history and development of job embeddedness as a, as a concept. And for me, what really turned me on to it is a realization I had after talking again and again and again with CEOs that are concerned about turnover. It almost always presents as a turnover concern. Either we're worried uh, about future turnover, a la the great resignation and turnover tsunami and what should I do to be prepared, or we've been plagued by turnover and uh, we're not able to hit our productivity goals, our culture is suffering because of all of these things. And at a certain point, it kind of clicked with me to say, you know what, rather than looking at why are people leaving, let's flip the script and talk about why do they stay? And that's really what job embeddedness gets at. It's, it's the level of stickiness or enmeshing that an employee experiences within their organizational context. So David, what would you say is the difference there? When you say you want to flip the switch and you want to look at the difference between why do people leave versus why do people stay? Sounds like you're looking at different sets of motivations. Are you or are they just a different way of looking at those? Yeah, great, great question. So uh, I'll, I'll answer that with an example. <clears throat> so typically, when we talk about turnover predictions, uh, or things that predict turnover, rather, we're typically looking at individual predictors, things that an individual employee experiences or doesn't experience. So, you know, are they satisfied with their job? Do they uh, have high or low levels of organizational commitment? Do they have lots of alternatives? Are they constantly searching for new positions? You know, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But, and, and there's, there's value there. But I think what's unique to job embeddedness is that it changes the level of focus to say, okay, rather than focusing on the actions of the individual employees, let's take an organizational approach, which actually I think aligns very well with the precisely the domain where senior leaders can exert the most influence mm -hmm. and say, let's look how the system is functioning in a way that creates the kind of cultural forces and experiences systematically that cause people to want to stay. And so it's really the difference between an explanation for why did that guy do that thing to what can we as an organization do to build the kind of place and culture that nobody wants to leave. Mm -hmm. So you're really in some ways trying to set up an environment where people's responses to the situation they're in, draw them toward the organization rather than impel them from the organization. Absolutely. We think about this, Dennis and I have been thinking about this in terms of the individual responses in relationships to stress, uh, to pain, um, to, to the challenges we're facing. We call them root motivations. And we just spent three or four podcasts talking about that. But there's a tie in here a little bit, and I don't want to extend this too long, but we talked about the idea of, of, res of respect 
value and approval being three powerful motivations that we have as we respond to other people, we respond to stress, we respond to the, well, we're working in a high workload, high stress, especially when you have, say, 20% of the population leaves of your company. Well, that means 20% of that workload is going to get spread out over, you know, the rest of the people that are there. And how do you reduce your workload 20% or how do you change the environment and people are going to feel that. So I guess I'm, I'm thinking about those kinds of things. Dennis, is there a, something you're thinking about as, as you responding to this first point that David's making? Sure. I, I know a number of young people who, how their companies have, have adjusted to these, these changes, especially in the workload area and the application of talent in different directions. And one young man I was working with, he ended up leaving his company because uh, he just wasn't respected at all. They just moved him on the basis of his talent alone without consideration of, you know, was this really good for him in the long run? And and so I, I think when when employers get real pragmatic in that environment of, oh, and I just lost 20% and I got to spread that, they, if they go on pure on pragmatics, then they're going to miss something in their people. And I think they can exacerbate their problem at that point. You know, when you feel like you're just a transaction, when you feel like you're just a talent, a piece of talent, I think that contributes to what you're talking about, David, that in the kind of environment that the leadership sets up that either is sticky or slippery uh, so to speak, for whether they're going to stay or leave. So continue Absolutely. on with your idea of job embeddedness and how that works. Yeah. So one of the things that I find very useful about the job embeddedness model that relates to some of what we just talked about is the idea that, you know, let's say 20% of your employees leave. There's there's two kind of active things that happen, right? One, which you articulated, is there's still 100% of the work to be done. And so how do we redistribute that? But there's also kind of the relationship and cultural component, because when somebody leaves an organization, the relationships that they have formed don't you know, stop at the door, right? Those relationships go with them. And there's a really important concept in the job embeddedness model that talks about turnover contagion. And I think that's one of the things that leaders right now are rightly concerned about, right? There can be a positive feedback loop where the more people leave, the more people I have within my organization that now have relationships with people that have left and their attention can be brought with them to, well, what is life like outside of the organization? Mm -hmm. And when you compound that with systemic shocks, things like economic recessions and things like that, uh, or, you know, a pandemic. <laughs> Historically, those times of systemic shock have also been times when job embeddedness tends to suffer and, mm -hmm. and people tend to be more willing and interested in looking for a change. So the fact that we have both of those operating right now makes kind of the things within the model that much more important as sources of wisdom to say, well, what can we do about this? How can we meet that challenge? If I'm understanding you correctly, this ideal of contagion, something's contagious, so that if one person leaves, one person says, hey, I found something over there, the grass is greener over there, there's a better salary, or maybe the culture's mm -hmm. better, or 
you know, I'm just bored here. That contagion, that becomes contagious because when one leaves, then another one says, wait, maybe I should think about that, even when they weren't before. And it becomes almost a snowball effect. Absolutely. At some point. So what are we doing? Your your model of job embeddedness kind of has, as you call it, three legs on on a stool. Walk us through those. Absolutely. So there's the three legs of the stool, and then there's kind of the two levels that those mechanisms play out. And so kind of the three legs, we have links, which are the extent to which people have links to other people or activities in the organization. So it's how connected are they to uh, other people and activities. Mm -hmm. There's also the idea of fit, which is the extent to which their jobs and the communities that they're interacting with are similar to or fit with other aspects of their life, both in terms of an objective reality, but also their subjective narrative of their life, right? And then the third part is what we call the sacrifice mechanism. And sacrifice really describes the real or perceived difficulties or losses that would be imposed on those that leave. So in short, it's, you know, well, what would people give up if they left? And there's kind of two, uh, I mentioned two levels at which these three legs of the stool operate. And that's at the organizational level and the community level. And so community is really where, you know, these, these are the aspects of their environment that they experience off the clock that nonetheless encourage them to stay with a current employer. So, you know, I don't want to leave my company because we're in a great community and we have a great church and, you know, all that kind of thing. And then at the organizational level, it's the things that they're really experiencing on the clock as they relate to their day-to-day experience in each of those three domains. Okay, well, let's take each of those in turn. Let's talk for a second about the thing you call links. These are the, the ways we are connected within yep. the organization, um, whether that's at the peer level or whether that's in the hierarchy of the organization some way. I would guess it probably also has something to do with the kind of job we're doing and kind of across the whole company, where are those connections that we enjoy or want to keep? Absolutely. So links to me break down into kind of two different buckets, right? You have your emotional connections uh, that link me to other people in the organization mm-hmm. uh, at, an, at an emotional level. So there's, you know, well, what are, what are my, what's my relationship look like with my colleagues? Mm-hmm. What is my alignment with the mission and vision of the organization, right? Do I feel like the way that the mission and vision play out you know, does, does that engender a, re- a response, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's also the component of engagement, right? So do I align with the job to be done? Uh, is there alignment with my manager uh, and myself, my team, culture? All of those things are different variations on that idea of links within the organization. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Dennis, do you have a, an example from uh, somebody that you know, or in one of the companies you're working at, where they've said, you know what, I, I really enjoy staying at this company because of how well connected I am. Yeah, I work with a company up in Milwaukee, and they do a lot of service work in the school district, private school districts. And that is one of the biggest reasons people enter in and stay in this organization and are attracted to it. It's just this connectedness. 
that not only with what they're really interested in, but the relationships they form and then what they see happening in the broader community just keeps them embedded in that organization. Okay. How does the idea of purpose fit into this, uh, this whole area? Yeah, great question. So I think purpose, one of the things that I like about the job embeddedness model is that any individual component of why somebody stays can sometimes be operative on, on multiple fronts at the same time. So, you know, that may be a, a function of a link, but I think it also can play into this idea of fit or life consistency, where you're looking at, you know, who do I want to be on the job? What do I want my contribution to be? Do I feel like what it is that I'm doing is speaking to the highest and best use of my talent mm-hmm. and, and my calling, right? Is this my purpose? And mm-hmm. what is the fit between my purpose and my role within this organizational context? Okay, so do, let's move to that second leg then. We talk about fit, and you just mentioned that in terms of purpose. Speak into that idea of why it's important for us to, to feel like we belong where we are. Absolutely. So I think we've all experienced the idea of, you know, check your personal issues at the door and we're here to do a job, right? And while that's possible to do sometimes in the short run, I think if we acknowledge the fact that we are all human beings and that we are created and active in this world with certain talents, certain interests, certain passions, over the long run, your personal life never really stays at the door. You bring everything with you uh, if the timescale is long enough. And I think that that idea of purpose and fit and passion is really something that is operative over a long period of time. And it's kind of that idea of aligning long-term motivations with long-term visions for who you are and who you want to be. And that's what ultimately drives that, you know, whether you're going to be in that reluctant stare or enthusiastic stare group that we were talking about before, it's when those things line up, right? Because anytime you have two waves of energy, if you sync up those those wavelengths, the amplitude gets that much bigger and more powerful. It's that kind of idea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking about another model out there. And I, I don't I want to save this for their podcast, but I would love at some point to talk into the value of Patrick Lencioni's new model he's brought out called Working Geniuses and the six working geniuses that um, he's come up with that kind of work from kind of the more visionary all the way through the strategic down into the very practical nitty gritty kind of, of, of uh, ways we think about our jobs and how we fit. And that, man, I tell you what, that just dovetails right into this area that I think he's captured something here in this fit area. If you can get into the working genius that you're the best at, and that's you know realigned to that. And I feel like one of the ways we think about retention as leaders Um, that tool could be invaluable because you could come in and say, you seem to be frustrated. You're thinking about leaving because somehow there's not a great fit here. But I wonder if we would alter the things that we're having you do and where you fit in the organization so that you're working with your your center working genius, as Lencioni would say, 
Now your energy is going to something that brings you passion and something that you, you generally find fun to do, even though it's work. I feel that lowers the, uh, the emotional tension for you and the need for you to leave. Dennis, I know you've got a, you think about this idea of fit a lot with a lot of the, the folks that you coach, a lot of the leaders. I think it's a question that comes up probably pretty regularly. You know, why do I feel this tension? in my job that makes me want to say, should I be looking for something else? Sure. I think whenever we're able to operate out of our, we could say our giftedness, what we're excellent at, it's always going to feed our hearts. The other, the other side of that is um, expectations. You know, people have had experiences where they felt great alignment. And so they walk in expecting they're going to get alignment with the job or they, they now go, Hey, I felt more aligned back then. I'm getting an example. I've got a gentleman who runs a large organization and, you know, he, he openly confesses to me, he says, yeah, I'm at the top of the house, but I'd really rather go down and be a project manager. And, you know, he's wrestling with that tension, even as he leads the organization of, you yeah. know, what really is his best fit, but here he is. Yeah, and we've seen this in, especially in succession situations where we have a, a son or a grandson who's moving up in the ranks, clearly has the gifting to be the one who could be, you know, running the operation day to day, or or really understands the bigger picture of what's happening. But grandpa really doesn't want to give him the reins yet, or maybe one of the brothers doesn't really want to give him the freedom to do that. And so you feel that tension in there. Let's move to this, this third kind of leg of the stool um, that you call sacrifice, or maybe I might label it as the cost uh, of staying or leaving. Absolutely. So sacrifice really looks at that, you know, what is the cost of leaving? And, you know, that can certainly be operative in a financial sense, which I think what a lot of people uh, immediately go to. But it's not just the salary that one walks away from, right? There's, mm-hmm. There is a, a culture component of, you know, if you're feeling like you're walking away from a community that you're plugged into, there's also uh, other things. So, uh, and this is a real practical example. If I have a child with diabetes and there's a, a medical care team that I've assembled in my employer's healthcare network, and I'm looking at potentially uh, going to another employer with a different healthcare provider and now having to reassemble that team, well, that would be a major sacrifice of time, effort, uh, and emotional investment that I would have to walk away from and rebuild, right? Yeah. So there's multiple, multiple things uh, operative in that sacrifice space. And that creates kind from. of uh, uh, one of those reluctant stayers. You know? Correct. I think Dennis has got some ideas. Here. Yeah, we, you know, I worked in the mental health field quite a bit. And especially when you think about marriages, and of course, you know, being an employer, an employee, that's a, a marriage metaphor strongly there. And so we have people that are constrained in their relationship because the sacrifice of leaving is too great, which I think you just illustrated there. And then the other idea is thriving in where you are. And so it, it seems, David, as I look at your model, in some ways, links and fit, and you can tell me if this is correct, links and fit really help evaluate how much sacrifice am I going to make here? How much sacrifice is the employer going to make here? Absolutely. Absolutely. The more vibrant and healthy the links and the better the fit, the harder it is to to walk away, right? Because not because we're feeling stuck by, by staying, but rather because we would have to give up 
so much goodness and meaningfulness and fulfillment if we were to remove ourselves from that situation. Mm-hmm. So, so what would you say to the employer that has a number of employees who are constrained in their position at, at the company versus thriving? What would yes. you say to that employer? How do they need to address these people? Yep. And that I'm glad you asked that question because that gets right at what I talked about when John first talked about the four types, the reluctant leavers and, and reluctant stayers and, and all of that. And that's where I think there's opportunity to kind of move the needle and convert some of those reluctant stayers into enthusiastic stayers. Because we really need to look at and we say, okay, it's a good news, bad news situation that the sacrifice would be is too much for them to leave. So we know they're not going to leave. Now they're going to stay here. So the question is, what are some things that we can be doing in some of those other areas of the model around links, around fit and consistency to take that sacrifice and turn it from something that is so bad that it's keeping them here into something where their experience is so good that they don't want to leave. And some of those things that John mentioned earlier around, well, maybe it is changing what they're doing to realign the job that they're in with their passion, with their work genius, right? Maybe it's a function of somebody who is a a hyper-social, outgoing individual who is just feeling all kinds of burnt out in a remote first Zoom laden world. And so what does it look like to foster more meaningful connections between them and their colleagues or their team, what have you? Really what the model does is it gives you a framework to say, well, let's unpack this part of what may be going on to help find the balance for an individual or, or group of employees that may be in that category. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. 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 Does. I would say let's, um, as we're thinking about this model now, um, David, think about those three legs, the links, um, the connectedness issue, the fit, you know, how well we fit into the organization and the cost of leaving or the sacrifice. Can you give us one thing that a leader, whether it's an HR leader, a CEO of a business, the COO, you know, of a larger company, the person who is really invested in maintaining the employees they have, what would you say would be something they could do in those areas specifically that would, that would uh, create a better environment for retention? Absolutely. So if I had one shot at an intervention that would help, where I would focus my attention is on developmental initiatives, because those are operative across all three areas of the stool. If I have opportunities uh, to develop myself and my career, that is operative in terms of uh, that fit component, because I uh, am able to bring my present reality closer to that vision that I have for myself professionally. And if I do that in a way that connects me with other employees in the organization that are also striving for similar types of developmental opportunities, that then forges links and relationships with those uh, other employees within the organization. And of course, if I have great opportunities for personal and professional development, 
that also increases the sacrifice mechanism in a good way. Again, not because I, I'm stuck, but rather because those those opportunities, those links, it's such a vibrant experience that I don't want to give that up. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Dennis, what are you thinking as, you've, as you're listening here? Well, I think it really does come down to employers looking at a systemic organizational issue, but not forgetting the individuals. And so they're constantly going to be moving back and forth. What's my policy? What's my people? And, and letting those things wash over each other as they're trying to do this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, David, it's really been fantastic to hear uh, your thoughts around this idea of the great resignation and attempting to move it to the great retention. And your model of job embeddedness is, a, is an important tool for that. And we're going to have a a webinar that you're going to participate in that's going to help us uh, put some some legs, so to speak, on how to put that all together. So our leaders that are listening can really begin to see some significant reduction in the amount of turnover in their companies in the next months. Thank you, David, for being with us today. We've enjoyed our conversation with you. Thank My you, pleasure. David. Thanks, John. Thanks, Dennis. Let's make this practical for you right now with a couple of questions to think about. One, why would someone want to work for you or at your company? Two, what are you doing to attract and keep the skills and talent you need to run an effective company? Three, do you know why your employees are thinking of leaving or deciding to stay at your company? We're glad you joined us today. Our continuing conversations will bring to life ideas that will cultivate your growth and success as a leader. Access our other episodes and more great information at thrivespacepodcast.com. We publish a monthly blog that's available on our website. We're having a webinar this month on this topic, The Great Resignation. Later in the month, look for the newsletter and look for other information that will tell you about that. And there's other information in the resource area that's available to you on our website as well. So we'll see you next month. And we're going to do a recap in December of what we've seen this year in the business world and the leadership world. And I think it'll be a a fun and interesting podcast. So thanks for joining us today. I'm John Erickson. And I'm Dennis Humphrey. Take care.